Texas and throughout the world. It's football time in Tennessee. What is up, everybody? It is Lo, your host, who has been off the map for the past, I don't know, several shows. And we've got Drew back with us. We may have Rob popping in later this evening. And we are going to dive right in with the AP Top 25 poll that was just released this week. And we have a fair amount of comments to make on this, I'm sure. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read them starting from number one to number 25. And then we'll kind of go from there. So, number one, obviously, Georgia, no surprises there. Two, Michigan. Three, Ohio State. Four, Bama. Five, LSU. Uh, six, USC. Seven, Penn State. Eight, FSU. Nine, Clemson. Ten, Washington. I'm actually going to stop us there at the top ten. Then we'll go, we'll kind of break it down from 11 through 20 and then round out with 21 through 25. Any surprises for you, Drew, in 1 through 10? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the one that, like, there's two I'm really surprised about. Alabama being at four, and while I do agree with it on them being at number four because they do have a lot of questions at quarterbacks, um, you know, the one crazy stat that I read, and I'm, one of the, I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this, made sure I read it correctly, but this is the lowest preseason ranking they have had in 10 years at four, which is – Almost like surreal to think, you know, that they've been at that high level of a standard for this long. But them being at four was a little bit of a surprise and different to see. The one that I just don't understand, and I I try to hear the argument is LSU at five. I mean this I mean this one's just ridiculous. Like especially when you consider that we beat the brakes off them. You know they lost to Texas A and M, who was five and seven, got the beats. You know teeth kicked in by Georgia in the SEC championship game. And when you really look and break down on, like, the wins that they had in SEC play, you know, they only beat Arkansas by three, only beat a really bad Florida team by ten, beat a god-awful Auburn team by four. Like, it wasn't – they didn't really have, like, impressive, like, like you know, like convincing wins in their conference play outside of Ole Miss. So, that one really surprised me. And then, honestly, outside of that, like – I'm not surprised that Clemson's in the top 10. I think that was kind of expected. I know our fans are going to be pissed off and redneck angry over that, but I don't really care. Like, it, they were going to be in the top 10 no matter what. Yeah, I mean, certainly the LSU thing was a big shock. Um, of course, they thought that they should have been in the playoffs. So, I guess everyone's falling into the hype there with that. Um, personally... I'm okay with this top 10. I mean, I don't have anything that pisses me off besides the fact that we're not in it and Clemson is and we keep their ass in the Orange Bowl. So, I mean, and for our record and then to beat Clemson in their last appearance and then for them to be that many spots ahead of us. I found that a bit strange. I'm also just not sure what they see in this upcoming season that makes them a higher seed unless they're just looking at schedule, strength of schedule um, as a big factor. But other than that, I'm fine with it. I don't really care. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing we do need to take into consideration with Clemson being nine is like, you know, 
they did technically have a down year last year, but they did still win about, you know, they went 10-3. and three, They won the ACC. They've also are the same team that's won two national championships in the last, you know, seven years as well. So they are going to have that brand, and they've been in that conversation for a while. So they're going to get more recognition respect for now over schools like Tennessee. So, and granted, I think we're well on to come up, and I think we're going to have that same type of recognition and respect years along the way. But – I'm not really – I'm going to try not to get too worked up over it. So, Yeah, I, I, for now I'm fine with uh, how things are going. So I guess we'll go 11 through 20. So starting off at number 11, we have Texas. 12, we have our Volunteers. 13, Notre Dame. 14 is Utah. It's a bit random. Um, 15 is Oregon, 16 is, sorry, oh, Kansas State, 17 TCU, and I'm losing my notes here. Where did I lose my notes at? Who's number 18? We got Oregon State at number 18, Wisconsin at 19, and Oklahoma uh, at 20. Um, how much, how much time you got? I mean, I, how much time you got with this, with this bit? I just, there's so many questions I'd love to have answered. Uh, first one, I don't, how the hell is Texas 11? Like somehow, some way, it seems like every single year, Texas underachieves and they find themselves in the top 15 preseason poll every single, like year in, year out. Like, Grant, I know that the Big 12 is extremely weak and there's zero excuse for them not to win the Big 12 this year, but that's also been, we've been saying that for almost 10 seasons now. Um, I don't understand that one. Vols at 12, I kind of like it, honestly. I kind of like the disrespect of us being down the top 10. I'd have to be more worried if we were within the top 10 rankings and you had that high expectation a lot of years. So I think this is going to give the guys like a chip on their shoulders. And honestly, after you beat the brakes off of Florida in the swamp, you know, to go start off 3-0, this team will definitely be in the top 10 and we'll be rolling. Um, Notre Dame, again, like another school that hasn't been relevant for 20 years. They lost to Marshall, for God's sake, last year. And somehow they're still the top 15. Like this is – it's just ludicrous. I mean, it's just so ridiculous, you know. And Wisconsin being at 19 for a team that went 6-7 and seven last year is just completely absurd. I mean – I don't. I would love to like figure out the logic behind having Texas, Notre Dame, and Wisconsin all within that eleven to twenty range. Yeah, I mean, excellent points are made there, Drew. I, I don't know. I wish I knew how much favored into all of this. Like, are they? Because we've talked about this before. It's like, are they basing this off of last year and last year's performance? Because if they are, it doesn't seem likely. It seems more like it's weighted on strength of schedule, uh, upcoming recruiting class. Yeah. Um, from what I know, it's like there is a lot of factors go in. They do consider last season, of course, but like also guys that were, you know, that are returning, recruiting classes coming in, the guys that they got within the transfer portal. So. In that regard, I can understand why Notre Dame is at 13 because they did get the guy to play for us as their quarterback. And I believe he was the ACC player of the year. Uh, Sam Hartman or Sam Hartwell, for guy's last name. But um, so they did have improvements there. And Oregon's probably, I mean, honestly, outside of USC, I think they have the best chance of like making or winning the Pac-12. 
And Utah, I think a lot of people forget this, Utah last year won the Pac-12, beat USC twice, and played in the Rose Bowl too. So, I mean, you have to take that into consideration as well, of course. But I think it's just a lot of, like, brand recognition as well as your results from last year. But even then, results from last year, you shouldn't have Wisconsin or Oklahoma, who were both under and barely 500 in that top 25 at all. And we'll talk about that last five bit and especially somehow Texas A&M miraculously made the top 25 as well. It's just unbelievable. Oh, my God. Yeah, let's roll into the last five. North Carolina, 21. Ole Miss, 22. Texas A&M, 23. Tulane, 24. And Iowa, 25. Absolutely bizarre. Texas A&M went 5-7 and seven last year, and they managed to make it in the top 25. I know that we're talking about all the factors that are included in this, but that just seems batshit crazy to me. It's – I don't understand the logic again with this one. Granted, I know that they, from a recruiting perspective, they've had like I think three straight top five recruiting classes. So they're definitely not short on talent for sure. But if you're just going to disregard all of like last season, like we might as well – we might as well, you know, make an argument that, you know, South Carolina should be in the top 25 and then Kentucky should because, I mean, they did more with less last Texas so. And Iowa, Iowa couldn't even score touchdowns to score their life. I think they only scored six points in South Dakota State last year. So, and, I mean, I would be pissed if I was a Tulane fan. Granted, I know they have, like, 15 fans, but, like, if I was a Tulane fan and I saw this and you saw that you beat USC in the Cotton Bowl last year, you return a few key guys and you're on your offense and you're still ranked below Texas A&M. It's like, granted, I know the preseason rankings don't matter, but I'd be, I'd be pissed as hell over this. Oh, rightfully so. Rightfully so. And absolutely. I mean, you're looking at South Carolina and Kentucky. I certainly believe that they deserve a spot on here more than some of these other teams. To be um, honest. Yeah, I would definitely, I hate South Carolina. I hate Beamer. I think, Spencer Rattler is an idiot. I hate everything about them, but they do definitely deserve to be top 25. And they very possibly will be if they beat UNC, you know, come week one. So, but then again, you know, it's something to talk about. Season hasn't even started yet. Um, it's just nice that Tennessee is finally getting that recognition again and, you know, being in a preseason top 25 poll. Like, it seems like it's been a very, very long time since that's been the case. That's very true. And I guess that does answer my question, but out of curiosity, if in a perfect world for you leading into this season, given the ex the high expectations for Milton and at least the offensive side of the ball, if you're Josh Heupel and you are dealing with the locker room and you know they're looking at the rankings, whether you try to hide it or not, do you like them at 12? Would you change it? Would you want them to be higher? Would you want them to be lower? Or is 12 a good number? I mean, I think it's a good motivational tactic for Heifel because, you know, he could look at this and be like, look, guys, like, this is they're just disrespecting you right here. We have three teams in that top ten that are over us with Clemson, Alabama, and LSU. They clearly don't think that we're going to replicate our success from last season. They don't have that much faith in you. And, like, I think that's going to light a fire like, on a lot of guys, and especially Joe Milton. Like, he he's the biggest question mark out of anyone in college football. I mean, even ESPN said that he was the number one most important player in the playoff race this upcoming season. 
if yeah. he if he you know replicates the success that he had against Clemson, there is no doubt in my mind that this Tennessee team could not only win eleven games, they could win an SEC championship. And honestly, I think they have the talent to even win a national title just based off the offense alone. So. I think there's a lot of – I mean, this. I think this could be the – it's the best spot for them right now. So, you don't want to be in the top ten this early. And if you lose a game early to Florida or, you know, worst-case scenario, UTSA, then you're falling back 15, you know, spots and potentially looking outside the top 25 already. Excellent points. I have to agree with you. I really like it being at 12. Um, I do feel it's a bit disrespectful, and I do think that, like you said, it will be in their favor. And you had a great comment, which we were planning to talk about anyways, about Joe Milton. So if anyone didn't hear it, I'm just going to kind of review what was said on ESPN by Bill Connolly. So he basically named uh, Milton his number one most important player in the college football playoff race. And he isn't calling him the best player in the country, but he's saying that he has the widest range of outcomes. So in his quote, he said, if he still takes too many stacks and toes on the wrong side of the line between patience and slow decision-making, he'll probably end the year on the bench behind Nico. But if he's firing quickly to Ramel Keaton, Brew McCoy and Squirrel White, and fully harnessing the explosiveness of Josh Heupel's offense in his own right arm. He's almost certainly got the strongest arm in college football. Then the sky's the limit for Tennessee. Forget spoiler talk and put them in the national title conversation. Reading that, like, gives me <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I know that it's just a preseason comment, but to even hear someone acknowledge that we aren't all completely de delusional when we see the potential. I think this comment is spot on for the ranges of the outcome of this team. We have an incredible coach. Our offense is so dynamic, so explosive. They have all the talent in the world, but it is true that can Milton put it together? I, I mean, it's the biggest question mark in college football, honestly, because there's, there's two ways that the season can go. We can either go seven and five, Right. If Milt, if we have the Joe Milton from 2021, you know, overthrowing guys by 10, 15, 20 yards, you know, taking sacks, not having very good awareness or this team. Could, I mean, this team could honestly go undefeated. I mean, they really could. Like, and it sounds it sounds borderline insane. I Like it even for me to even say this, it's ridiculous. But like when you take into consideration that Alabama has all these question marks, you know, we even lit up their defense, and they had Will Anderson, who's arguably probably the best player, defensive player in the draft. You know this, you know this past draft, and the best quarterback in the country. You know they're replacing all those guys. They had so many question marks at quarterback that no one even knows what's happening. I mean, they're really you know deciding between Jalen Milrow, who literally can't throw the ball more than twenty five yards, or Ty Simpson, who hasn't played a snap in college football yet. He's a sophomore. And they're, I mean, and Georgia's losing a lot of talent. I mean, and Grant, I know Georgia just reloads, like, you know, how Alabama has been the last 10 years. But when you're replacing six or seven guys on defense that went went to be first-round draft picks, you can't replicate that. And you can't tell that game it's going to be the most hostile crowd imaginable, especially if you take into consideration that both those teams will be undefeated. In November. I mean, it's going to be unbelievable. 
you know. But he has all the talent. I mean, like we've seen his arm, you know, all throughout last season. He looked like a different player last year. He looked like he had more awareness. He had better footwork. And even Peyton Manning acknowledged that over guys like Ben Ewers and, you know, a couple other dudes in his you know, camp, he said Joe Milton's footwork was the best out of all of them and that he had the best arm in college football. I mean, when you have those types of compliments from the greatest quarterback of all time, I mean, like, that that's high praise. And even Heifel today even said the fact that he's played at such a high level that he doesn't even think he's thrown an interception yet in camp. And they've been in camp for three weeks now. I mean, like, so – it's hard not to get like way too hyped up and fired up. But like when you hear comments like that and hear that Tennessee has the potential to win a national championship, you got to drink the big orange Kool-Aid. I mean, it's hard not to. You have to, and not for nothing that, you know, Jordan Rogers came out and said, he thought that Milton had the strongest arm, not only in college football, but of any football he's ever seen, including pro. And that I know that he's not like, some football philosophical God or whatever you want to call it. But him saying that, I mean, that's a pretty big deal to go out on national television and say that. Also, if you look at the comments from camp, they're saying that our defense is keeping up with our offense. And I have to believe that's an incredible sign because with the amount of talent that we have on the offensive side of the ball, there's no way that we were here and we've dropped. There's no way. I think we've only elevated. And if we've elevated our defense in practice, that's fucking huge. And Matt, I just, I'm just imagining what could potentially be on the field this year. It, I mean, it, it has all the pieces to be an unbelievable season this year. I mean, I, like, I really believe that. And when you take into consideration, like, the guys that we did come in here, you know, and Grant, we do have a lot of young talent defensively. But when you hear that, like, Aaron Carter and Jeremiah T. Lander are looking like a million bucks and that they could even be starters at day one over guys like Keenan Peely and Aaron Beasley, who, my opinion, might have – I mean, Aaron Beasley has the potential to be an all-SEC linebacker. You know, when you hear that, even hear the guys like Kamal Hatton, who were the biggest liability for us on D-passes last season, that he's improved tremendously and that he's playing more. I mean – it's hard not to get excited and fired up about this. And I think the one thing a lot of people need to remember is that our defense wasn't really necessarily that awful last year. I mean, when you look at the performances that we had against Clemson, that we had against LSU, hell, even against Georgia, we did not play. Like, we gave we gave the offense opportunity to score, you know. And I think a lot of people are just way too racked up over, like, the South Carolina game. And you know, in Alabama as well. And I mean, the South Carolina game, we all we all know that was a complete fluke. And Alabama, well, they had the number one quarterback in the last season. So, you know, there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of opportunity. Um, I think there. I think you're going to see a lot of improvement. You finally have depth in those positions that you needed, which was a secondary and linebacker, which we haven't had in for God knows how long. And so, to finally hear that we're having guys that are coming in freshmen that are able to play at this level. It's an unbelievable sign. It absolutely is. And just talking about the hype a little more, I'm sure that we have, I feel like we have to comment on it because it's so bizarre and it just adds to the, the big orange Kool-Aid that we're all drinking. But the comparisons of this year's team and the national championship team are pretty freaking bizarre. 
no, I see. I understand this because we were on the same. We were number ten in the coaches poll in '98, just like how we are now. But I'm not going to fall for this. I this is like this is just setting yourself up for failure. Like the way I look at it, you can't have the expectation that this team will win a national championship. No. I think realistically, and we'll have next week when everybody's back in, we'll have our full schedule prediction. Prediction. I think this team has a potential that can win ten games, eleven games. But to replicate that success from '98, I mean, we got to have a lot of luck. I mean, a lot of luck on our side. And I mean, it's, it's a possibility. It certainly is a possibility. But you know, you're talking about you have to play a really, still a really strong Alabama and a two-time defending national champ Georgia. You didn't have to really deal with that in '98. Georgia kind of sucked. Alabama was awful. You know, I mean, Florida, yeah, Florida was the better team that year, I suppose, now. But there was still a lot of, you know, crazy shit that happened in that season for us to be able to get in the first place. But I've seen a lot of comparisons over that. I've tried to act like I'm not acknowledged it, but it's, I mean, it's hard not to look at it on Twitter every day. It's hard. It's hard not to at least acknowledge it's in the universe, you know. Yeah. But... We'll leave that. We'll leave the balls to decide that and see how they perform in at least their first opening weeks before we revisit that thought. Um, I guess we wanted to talk about a couple of injuries that we've had in camp. Yeah, so Hypel came out, um, or Austin Price reported this morning on Ball Quest, um, fresh, two freshmen. Uh, picked up some injuries, looking pretty bad. Both were potentially out for the rest, for the entire season. Um, Tyree Weathersby, defensive lineman, picked up a hip injury during practice last week, and is going to have to go through surgery now. So he's done for the year. And Deshaun Bishop, who's a running back from Carnes that we you know picked up late of last recruiting class, and you know, he had a lot of good strides actually. Camp, uh, he picked up an ankle injury. Uh, in the first scrimmage last week as well. So he could potentially be out for the rest of the entire season as well. It sucks, you know, for those guys because, you know, fall camp and spring camps are obviously opportunities for them to, like, you know, get up the depth chart, have opportunities to get reps and play. But luckily for us, we're so loaded with talent on both those positions as far as depth goes that where losing them is not really the end of the world. And quite honestly, as good of a player as Sean Bishop is – he was realistically maybe the fifth guy on our depth chart when it comes to running backs. Um, you know, so it really isn't that big of a loss. And Weathersby, while he did show some promise, it really sounded like more or less that he was going to get maybe garbage playing time, you know, against like blowout wins or even a red shirt for that matter. So it sucks. I hate it for them. Obviously, I hope the best recovery for them, of course. But I don't think it's the end of the world. It's not like as if we're losing, you know, Kamal Hatton or Jordan Matthews in secondary or if we're losing Bruce McCoy. So it could be a whole lot worse. On top of that, um, Cooper Mays obviously had that procedure. And I guess Heupel said that he's still expecting him to come back to practice before the season opener. Um, which is really soon. Do we know any details on what procedure he had? Uh, I don't really have that much. I, it sounded more or less kind of like a minor, I think it was like a minor ankle procedure. They said he was going to be out for about four to six weeks uh, when they did report that last week. But honestly, if there's going to be any time he gets out, this is probably the best time for him because when you, we're starting off the season with Virginia, who 
which are really deep by six touchdowns. And Austin P, we could probably play all of our freshmen and still beat them by four touchdowns. So missing him for both those games is never going to be in the world. Obviously, it will suck for him because like it's his senior year. I'm sure he wants to play as much as possible. But if there's a time where you want a key starter out in the season, it's definitely right now. But as opposed to say that you know four or five stretch of Florida and South Carolina, A&M and Alabama. So um, not really into the world with him being out for a little bit, but he is, I would, in my opinion, probably the most important starter on the offensive line. I have to agree. And I guess today they were uh, interviewing Heifel about the rest of the offensive line, and he was not very direct about what's going on there. I do feel like our offensive line development is – so critical for making sure that our offense works this year because they performed at an elite level last year for sure. Yeah. And I would say that is still my number one biggest concern leading into the season. And then with him being out for the beginning, I hope that they can find, they can still gel and find their sense of rhythm before we get to the big games. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, offensive line is, I would say probably the most important, you know, aspect of our offense is what is going to dictate our success this season. Replacing guys like Carvin and Darnell Wright, I mean, it was a top 10 draft pick, you know, this past NFL draft. That's not going to be easy, you know, easy to replicate, easy to replace. And I think a lot of people are hoping guys like Addison Nichols, who was a four-star lineman from Georgia, I think a lot of people thought he was going to come in and be able to, you know, make his presence felt climb up the depth chart, and it doesn't really sound like he's been able to have that success yet. Um, it has sounded like Spragans has been great. It sounds like Dane Davis has been able to get a couple opportunities, which is great as well. He has a lot of experience. Um, and even John Campbell, too, has made a lot of improvements as well. So it's going to be interesting. I'm not really too worried about it because I'm sure you remember, low the Butch Jones years where – it seemed like we had, like, four offensive linemen, and that was it. And, like, we were just, you know, the quarterback was running for his life the entire game. So, I think we're going to be okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's I mean, it's a really important part of the game. And when you're playing against defensive lines like Georgia and Alabama and, you know, even Florida, Florida has, I think, five or six guys on their defensive line. They're over 350. So, like, when you're facing those guys, like, you've got to be able to make sure you have that depth that is ready. So, hopefully, hopefully Cooper may take a full recovery. He could go by, personally, hopefully by Florida. I would just play it safe with him. Yeah. But this will be a good opportunity for guys like, you know, Ollie Lane, Dane Davis, and a couple other guys as well to be able to have that opportunity to center and really make their prices felt, too. Absolutely. And that's a great point because – these backup guys have to get, get real game reps. I mean, if you see how detrimental it is if for some reason you have to sub out at center and they have never had any game experience, just how bad it is. As oh, yeah. I mean, so I, I would like if they played it safe with him, I don't want them to push him too hard because obviously he's at such a critical position. So I think it would be good to get those other guys in, like you said. And we'll just have to see where it goes. I, I can't believe how close we are, to be honest, because I was out of town for so long and now I'm back and it's like, oh my God, it's almost here. And we, I guess we just have to wait and see. It's going to be very exciting. 
it's going to be interesting. I think you're going to see a lot of different lineups as far as like our offensive line goes these first two games where Heupel and the staff is going to probably try to find more comfort and get a better idea on what they're going to have as far as their starting offensive line goes. And these two games are able to work around that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we're what, less than three weeks now. It's, it's a bit surreal. It's crazy. You know? Like, I was telling about this, like, one of my uh, coworkers today. It seems like January to, like, July just flies by every single year. And then it's like these last four weeks are just the longest, most insufferable weeks imaginable right before kickoff. And the next thing you know, you blink and it's New Year's, you know. So it's just – it's crazy. And you can feel it in the air here, you know, in Knoxville. It's just people are buzzing. They're fired up. I mean, I – I haven't seen people this excited over this football season in a very long time. I know that all of us were, you know, all of us on the podcast were fired up about last season, but I think people realize that, like, Tennessee's actually And, you know, to finally get that feeling again, I mean, hell, you can see it with the ticket prices now, especially for our conference game. It's unbelievable. Oh, my God, I know. Like, um, Couple of my coworkers were like, "We all need to go to a game together. Which one should we go to?" And I was like, "Probably Texas A&M." And the cheapest ticket they could find in the middle of BFE, at almost the top of the stadium, was like two hundred and forty bucks without yeah. without fees. And that's just honestly mind blowing. Like I've never been more pleased and grateful to be a season ticket holder in my entire life because i'm like i'm saving so much money right now yeah no i uh i made the massive mistake of not getting tickets this year and i've i've already told my girlfriend that after this season we'll be getting tickets from here on out because uh the money that i'm about to spend for the south carolina and georgia game it's it's terrifying it's absolutely terrifying so but you know I'd rather have this problem where we have a damn good football team they're fired up about where it costs a couple hundred dollars to get in a game as opposed to, like, being able to get a ticket for Tennessee, Georgia for 40 bucks. So I'm glad those years are far long gone. So it's uh, it's exciting. It's crazy. I, I read something from UT Sports today saying that they've already sold out for four home games already. UTSA, Texas A&M, Georgia, South Carolina – and I want to say, I want to say Austin P was on that list too, which is crazy. Wow. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy to think over half the home games now are already sold out. And, you know, I'm sure they'll sell out Vanderbilt and UConn as well. But, uh, yeah, people are fired yeah. up. Exciting. It is exciting. And we have other excitement to talk about because we can transition into basketball now. And it just so happened, if anyone – hasn't seen my Twitter post that I was in Italy at the exact same time that the Vols basketball team went on their tour across Italy. And they, I mean, they looked really good. They outscored their opponents 310 to 198. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Dalton. Connect. Connect. Okay. Good. Tricky one. <laughs> He led, like, the three-game series with 49 points. And then the second high scorer was Tobey Awaka, which we've all talked about how much we wanted to see him step up. He's been way when he's on the court. And to see him be the second high scorer whenever this team 
as Viscovi and Triple J back, given the minutes were obviously not the same. Um, everyone got really good amounts of playing time over there. But it's nice to see him, like, stepping up, going into the basket. And then also me being there and getting to watch a game, I did get to see Zakai warming up and out on the court. First of all, he's put on a shit ton of muscle. Like, I was yes. shocked to see him up close and personal and see how much muscle he's put on. But mm-hmm. also, he looked really good out there in warm-ups. Obviously, he didn't get court time. But it was nice to see him back and moving and shooting. I mean, his shots looked really good. And it was it was a great experience to watch. Yeah. No, I mean, I... I was just like all the other degenerates that watched that on that stream on Twitter uh, here in work. But I, I'm very jealous of that experience of seeing the balls play in Europe. That's so sick. So cool. Like, so jealous of that. But uh, really, honestly, I was so impressed with like, how they play. And Grant, I know they were playing basically against a bunch of farmers, you know. But I'm just like, you know, I, it's nice to have a breath of fresh air that we have so many guys that are threats offensively. And it seems like this is something that we have not had in a very long time with a Rick Barnes basketball team. You know, you mentioned Dalton Connect. You know, he averaged 16.3 points in that three-game span. Vols had five guys that averaged double figures. Watt averaged 13.7. Jory James transfer from, uh, I think it was UNC Charlotte. He averaged 12.7. Vescovy averaged 12, Freddie Buckets averaged 11, and even Jonas Adu averaged 9. So you just have a lot of guys over there that have the opportunity to score. And my thing, which I think all of us can attest to, from especially from last season, three guys that really stood out to me from the three-point mark, Dalton Connect, 48% from the field, 12 for 25 in that, or 12 for 25 in that three-game span. Uh, Jordan Ganey, 39%, and Vescovy was 10 for 18. 55% from three-point line. Yeah, that's huge. Unbelievable. So my thing, that biggest thing is like, I'm honestly more excited about basketball than I am even football, which is hard to believe. Because this team, you got 12 guys on there. I mean, you know, that have the opportunity to score, that can play well, that are, you know, that are going to be good defensively too. And this isn't taking into consideration that, you know, Triple J didn't really play that much in this three-game span, and Zakai didn't even play at all. Yeah. Imagine imagine having Freddie Buckets or Zakai coming off the bench. Like, there's not going to be – there's not going to be a downgrade at all. And then you're talking about, Jema- you know, Jermaine Meshack as well, you know, that's going to be able to come off the bench and make an effect too. Like, we've literally – this is the most depth team I've ever seen Tennessee's ever had. It's unbelievable. It truly is unbelievable. And just to, like, kind of recap, just – everything I got to see when they played Stella Azura. First of all, we walk in and there's like no one there. Like it's, it's smaller than like your average Tennessee high school gym. And we walk in and we get greeted by one of the, um, so this nice lady, very kind who works for the athletic department at UT. She was like, are you guys from Knoxville? Like, looking at me like, this is a bit bizarre. I was like, well, I am. He lives here, you know, and we were chatting with her. But then we were sitting literally three rows up. First of all, I've never been that close to any Vols game in my life. So seeing their actual size was pretty shocking. I had no idea what I was getting into. 
but they played at such a high pace. And I know like the opponent was obviously inferior, but the level of aggressiveness and the level of intensity, it didn't matter who the hell was out there. It never fell off one moment. I mean, truthfully, it was a very complete scrimmage, I would call it. The other thing that was super interesting is that Coach Barnes didn't coach any of it at all. The assistant, yeah, he was over here in the corner and the assistants were coaching, which I found interesting, but everyone had great intensity. They're very supportive. And obviously Freddie Buckets, like he, any lane that he saw, he took it. I love that because we've lacked that for several years on this, on this basketball team as a whole. We've never had that guy. Well, I guess we've had a couple of those guys, but this team needs that guy. We have to have someone take charge and drive in and take the bucket whenever they get it. Yeah. Um, we have a couple of those guys now because I feel like we've developed them. So you're right. In terms of overall talent, I was shocked. Like it didn't matter who was in your right. Zakai wasn't even playing. Triple J barely played. We had basically a whole new team out there. I mean, I'm over here like looking up their – trying to make their faces to the numbers because they're a completely new squad and they have yeah. a completely different game plan. It appears to me just even watching this small moment in person, I can't imagine how good they're going to look when the season rolls around. I mean, the crazy thing about this team is that they're a brand new team, but they also are loaded with experience at the same time. I mean, you know, a has been there for three years Vescovy's been there for five. Triple J's been there for five. Mayshack's been there for three years. Like, you just have so much talent and so much experience, which is going to play such a tremendous role going into conference play and March. And to have guys like Freddie Bucket that's aggressive offensively, and especially Dalton, oh, my God. I mean, I've never seen anyone play so aggressive offensively at Nita. And breath of fresh air no disrespect, guys like, you know, Brandon Huntley-Hatfield or Julian Phillips, for that matter, too. You know, and obviously, I wish they got those guys the best of their careers, but they played a bit scared with the ball over the last couple of years, and we just thought, you got six, seven, eight guys over there now where, like, they're not afraid to drive it down the basket, get some contact, force a foul, and try, you know, try to get the free throw line and, you know, create an opportunity to score. And, it's, and, you know, and I hope Rick Barnes realizes after watching them play without, you know, dictating and coaching them that this is the style of play that his guys like to play. Allow them to play the natural play they want to play and allow them to shoot. I'd rather have them shoot 40, 45 times a game from the three-point line and miss half of them but play with confidence than as opposed to, like, set, like, doubting yourself on whether you should take the shot or not, you know? And we saw that last So... I think this is a great learning experience for this entire team. I think it was great for the assistants to be able to get that, you know, in-game coaching experience as a head coach. And Rick Barnes from really looking at it from an outsider's perspective in on what this team has to offer. And I think he's willing finally this year to get rid of like, you know, a little bit of defense if it means to add another 10 or 15 points offensively. I have to agree. And I don't, you know, I've never sat around and watched in their preseason where Rick Barnes is or if he's like coaching or not. Yeah. But 
to be able to experience him just sitting through the whole game and like not flipping out at all and genuinely just observing everything and letting the other guys take the rein. It gave me two thoughts. One, it gave me a thought that he probably isn't going to be here too much longer. First thought, obviously. Yeah. Second thought is, I think you're right. I think he's really trying to observe how these different lineups work together. And real, he's realizing that the amount of athleticism and talent he has and the skill levels that he has, they can put together a pretty solid game plan without – focusing so hardcore on defense. I mean, these guys are going to get their asses back if they get burned. There's no question. Oh, no, a thousand percent. I mean, when you have guys, when you have an identity on offense where you're willing to play aggressive, have three, four guys drive the basket and, you know, create an opportunity, whether if it is to have an open guy or draw, you're, if you turn it over, you're not going to have the personnel to be able to go back and defend defensively. You're just going to have a fast break every single time. And I think that's okay. I I honestly think that's okay because I would rather have that and watch whatever the fuck that we did in that FAU game last year. I mean, like where you just had five guys that had no idea what they were doing and they would just pass it to Vescovy and hope that he would drain a 35-foot bucket every single time. You know, so it's just – it's nice for a change for, to see Tennessee basketball under Rick Barnes play with a different identity – play more loose, play more confidence, even if it is not perfect X and O's, you know, an old school ball like that he usually likes. But I have to think, I mean, because, you know, last season was the perfect opportunity for them to make the Final Four with what they had drawn up, playing FAU, and you're playing, you know, I think it was Kansas State that they were going to play in the Elite Eight. You had that perfect opportunity to be able to make a Final Four. You didn't make it. Surely to God, he looked in the mirror and was like, you know what? I need to change something. I need to change a philosophy. I need to allow my guys to be able to play with confidence and play loose and not play so strict and, you know, play perfect X and O's every single time. And so that, that's the only thing you can hope for. And I do agree if you're a take, though, with him, you know, potentially not being here for much longer. Personally, I think he has maybe two more years, and that's it. I mean, he's in his late 60s. I'm sure he probably wants to retire after coaching – college basketball for 50 years and uh i mean i you know a lot of people are not going to like this but like we're going to miss him a lot once he leaves i mean he's in my opinion the greatest tennessee basketball coach of all time with the amount of consistent success that we've had under him and i don't think we should take for granted his tenure or nor the fact that we've made five straight NCAA tournaments now i have to agree with you drew and just his presence alone and the relationship and the bonds that he forms with these guys personally, but also the team development skills that he brings in. You see it year after year after year that his basketball teams are very close. I can't even remember the last time we've heard of any drama from the Vols men's basketball squad. I mean, oh, yeah. to be honest, I don't know if there has been a time with Rick Barnes coaching that we've had to deal with these weird internal affairs or rumors. I haven't heard of a single one. I Literally the only thing I could think of was when um, – and it wasn't even when Rick Barnes was there. It was like when Conzo was there. It was when uh, Trey Golden slept with someone in the athletic department. He had transferred to Georgia Tech. That was the last one I could even think of. And even prior to that, it felt like every offseason under Bruce Pearl that someone was getting arrested for assault or robbery or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. But, you know, like he's, he's built an unbelievable program. And, like, 
he's been able to replicate success from everywhere he's gone. He's the most consistent coach in college basketball. You know, you, he's guaranteed 25, 26, 27 wins every single year. And, you know, for Tennessee, like, I know it's frustrating. I think this year is finally the year that we're going to make a Final Four. If it's not this year, it will it'll never be ever, you know. But just to be able to be in the tournament again, be a consistent top 15, top 10, top five college basketball team, year in, year out, be a program that, like, other top-tier programs like North Carolina and Kansas and Duke want to play us year in, year out, like, that's all you can hope for for, for Tennessee. I mean, because – Ten years ago, I remember when, you know, Donnie Tindall, that goofball, was our head coach. And, like, literally no one wanted to go to the games. We were playing horrible basketball. We are losing to Austin P. you know, tickets were $5 to get in. And, like, now it's like you got 16,000, 17,000 season ticket holders. Every game's almost sold out. You know, you're playing awesome programs. You know, we've got Illinois. You know, we played Wisconsin, you know, last year. You know, playing UNC in Chapel Hill. Like, there's so many great games. And it does not – you don't have that just from being a bad basketball program. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the excitement that we can have between these two huge sports, football and basketball, this upcoming season, it's it's something that I want to, like, soak every single moment in. I don't want to, like, get too excited. I, I just want to live it all up because last year I was pleasantly shocked with football and basketball. Now I have higher expectations, but I think they're validated. So I, I think so too. I think we, I think the problem with last year is that we had this ex- expectation that Julian Phillips was going to be exactly like how Kennedy Chandler was as far as being aggressive offensively. And that Tyree key was going to be like the next, like Ray Allen, just draining threes every single game. And I think it was unrealistic. I mean, I think we had a lot of questions, you know, with Kamwa and Eurosh and all those, you know, all those goofballs that we've had for the last four years. And we finally have, in every single position, you have depth, you have talent. It wasn't like, oh, if Sakai gets injured, we're fucked. Like, we don't have, we don't have to worry about the debt anymore because you got Freddie Buckets. And Freddie Buckets, I mean, honestly, like, he might be the starter the entire year. I mean, we've seen that, like, Zakai plays better off the bench overall than he does as a starter. So, you don't have to worry about the fact, like, if if one guy goes down, that like, you know, who's going to be there to be able to replicate that success? I mean, because you have, you have honestly, 11, 12 guys on that team that could be a starter in almost any other program in college basketball. So, it's a unbelievable time to be a Tennessee fan with – the success that we have from the football, you know, from past football season, the hype that's going in towards the team, you know, and not to mention, I mean, I, we both forgot about it. I mean, even with Tennessee baseball, I mean, like, yeah. you know, Tennessee baseball is at an all-time high as well. And they're finally getting the renovations that they deserve at Lindsey Nelson. God knows that, you know, we're about 15 years past two of the re- renovations, but thank God we're finally doing it. But, you know, just to have every single program is good right now. And, you know, there's not really an area of concern maybe outside of women's basketball, but, you know, that's another topic for another day, of course. But overall, though, I mean, the athletic department's the best, it's the best it's ever been as far as programs go across the board. Absolutely. And I, I can't agree with you more, Drew. And I guess to close it out, I do have to brag a little bit about my experience with meeting Coach Barnes. That was so fucking cool, man. Literally. 
the same nice lady, I can't remember her name, but if she's watching, you were very kind. Um, at the end of the game, she was like, well, it was so cool of you guys to come. You want to walk down to the court with me and try to meet some players and coach Barnes. I was no, let me walk out. Like absolutely, <laughs> I want to come. And, uh, we walked right down there, took like two minutes. All the coaches were talking, talked with some of the assistants, and then Coach Barnes came over, introduced himself, talked to this for like five minutes, just the nicest dude ever. Then like I almost blanked. I almost didn't even ask for a photo for a second. I was like, what the hell am I doing? And he was like, well, it's great to see you. And I was like, wait, can I get a photo, please? Almost missed it. What a yep. more I would have been if I didn't get a photo. But – yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's just great to hear that you have, you know, like Rick Barnes is like really like a down to earth guy. You know, yeah. you don't really hear that from a lot of coaches or a lot of, you know, I mean, even athletes for that matter, too. So awesome to hear that. And I'm sure literally with you being the only like, you know, person from Knoxville outside of like people in the athletic department being there, I'm sure he didn't really have a choice but to talk to you as well because I'm probably, I'm, pretty certain he's probably like how the hell do these two people make it in first of all and second yeah. of all like what are they doing here out of all places too so Absolutely. But, yeah awesome experience very very jealous you know always love traveling to europe and especially if the vols being there that makes it even better uh but i it's funny you mentioned about the gym though earlier because like literally when i was watching that game i was like i'm pretty sure like my middle school gym in georgia was like bigger than this like it literally looks like they just went to like some random like public basketball basketball gym in Italy and they're like, all right, we're just gonna play here. Well, that's honestly what it looked like. I'm not like dissing Stella Azura by any means, but when we <laughs> when we were walking up, I was like, Damn, what am I walking into? You know, I was a bit shocked. They had rugby and like outdoor basketball and then we walked in. I was like, oh, my God, this is tiny. And then my second thought was, this is fucking awesome. I'm going to be, like, right here watching this. Oh, yeah. So it was beneficial. But, yeah, and honestly, the one thing I will say, too, that was pretty cool to, like, sum all of the experience up was that they didn't call, like, hardly any fouls at all. They let them play pretty aggressively. I, I was just imagining if this was some like big time SEC matchup, there would have been like forty fouls called. Like, no doubt about it. Thousand percent. We probably would have. Uh, Stella Azura probably already been at the free throw line by like six minutes into the first half, like usually it is in the SEC play anyway. So, <laughs> I'm glad that they allowed some physicality over there in Europe. So, yeah, I think the guys from Stella Azura seemed to really appreciate it. They didn't give up either, which was cool. Like, it was just a really heated battle. They knew that the talent didn't match up, but they they still played them pretty aggressively. So, it was a fun all-around experience. And then at the end, like, they all took a picture. To, they prayed, and then they all took a picture together, which I thought was super cool for, like, a friendly match. Um, so, yeah, it seemed like a nice experience for everyone. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it was probably a great experience for our guys just being able, you know, to go play, you know, on a different continent, explore new places, you know, have that opportunity to, you know, be in Italy and play a different style of basketball because the style of basketball in Europe is very, very different than it is, you know, over in the U.S., but great experience. They're definitely more into fundamentals over there than they are here, of course. Yeah. Uh, but 
Yeah, no, great experience for our guys. And I think it's going to help them a lot going in towards the season. And obviously, you know, we got a lot of great matchups. I think we start off the season with Wisconsin, which will be exciting. And the Maui Invitational. Well, granted, I don't know if the Maui Invitational is even going to happen in Maui. So, of course, uh, thoughts and prayers to everyone that's over there living in Maui that's had experience with wildfires. But if they do have the tournament in Atlanta, though, which is a rumor, I will 100% be there for sure. So. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. I didn't even know that was a possibility. But, and yeah, and obviously, I lived in Hawaii, so that was even more devastating that I've been to Maui. And, unfortunately, all of that's occurred and all the lives lost. Lots of prayers out to them. I, I, I just feel really sad, too, because I don't know if – I don't think it'll ever be the same as it was. And I just feel bad for all of those families but in terms of the tournament, I really don't see how they could or would still have it, to be honest with you. I don't think they're going to have it in Maui. I just don't see from an infrastructure standpoint how it's possible. But they may go the same route that they did with the COVID season, which was they did have it like in Las Vegas uh, mm -hmm. year. And there is a possibility that they've talked about either Las Vegas or Atlanta uh, be impossible destinations of having that since they both were, you know, have open availability on both during that time of the year. So if they could be able to have it in Atlanta, I mean, like, you know, obviously it'd be a lot cooler to have it in Hawaii, but like, I think Atlanta for all of us would be a much better constellation and affordable prize uh, than as opposed to like seeing them play in Maui. That is very true. I have to agree. Um, do you have any other comments before we close out? No, I mean, I think we covered up. I mean, almost completely everything. It's almost hard to believe that only two of us, first of all, showed up to the show. Uh, right. Joe and Rob, you have questions to answer. Um, but I'm happy that we were finally be able to get this, you know, discussion going. A lot of great stuff to talk about next week. I think, you know, might as well say it. We're going to have our season predictions. I, you know, my favorite show of the season or the entire year, honestly, it's so much fun, always chaotic. It's always a great time. Um, and we'll be even two less than two weeks from football season until then. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can't really think of anything else. And potentially, nothing's official yet, but potentially, you know, look at some news maybe within the next month or two in regards of a potential live show. So I think we're both trying to work on making that happen. I'll let you guys know on that, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Big things coming for us. Awesome show coming up next week. I cannot wait. Like Drew said, it's always our favorite show of the year. It's going to be heated. It's going to be dramatic. And I assume that the full cast is going to be here for that. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, it'll just be me and Drew arguing for an hour, which, you know, that might we be. Make, we can make it work. We'll make it work. We'll make it work. Either way, it's been fabulous being back. I'm looking forward to next week. And until next time, good night and go balls. Go balls.